All right. If you have your Bible and you're in here, um, turn to Genesis chapter 23. We're going to continue the story of Abraham. Uh, Last week we saw that uh, Abraham was called upon to do the most difficult thing, perhaps, that God has ever called anyone to do. Would he be willing to give up his own son Isaac, his dearly beloved? And we saw that he was. I mean, amazingly, he he was willing to do that because he had come to trust in God so much. Well, this week we see another difficulty that Abraham has to face by faith. His wife, Sarah, dies before him. And he has to figure out how to bury her and how to move on. And that's really hard. And so tonight we're going to talk about that. How to face loss. How to look ahead to what we have in heaven versus what we have on earth. I think a very important topic. So let me read from Genesis 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the other Hittites, uh, of all who went in at the gate of the city, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth four shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was at, to the east of Mamre, the field that the cave was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a buying place, for a burying place by the Hittites. Word of the Lord. Let me begin tonight. I want to read to you, actually, a short uh, introduction to this chapter. I thought it was better than I could say it, so I'll read it to you. This is... uh, a book by a man named Ian Duguid. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he wrote a book about Abraham called Living in the Gap Between Promise and Reality. 
living in the gap between the promise and reality, which is a great summary, I think, of Abraham's life. Just listen. It's very, very short. Just one couple paragraphs. Think about this. When did you last talk with someone about death? Uh, Death has become the ultimate taboo in our society. The one thing we never discuss. It wasn't always that way, however. For example, the Puritan William Perkins wrote a treatise in 1616 entitled The Right Manner of Dying Well. Now perhaps past generations sometimes went overboard in discussing death. Maybe they did. Uh, Some of the books from the Victorian era, for example, telling about children who died wonderful deaths with noble sayings on their lips rub us the wrong way today. A little too grim and gothic, right? But the Victorians, while afraid even to mention sex, at least talked openly about death. In our day, we go to the opposite extreme. We talk incessantly about sex, but we try both to hide death and to hide from death. So when it comes, as inevitably it must, we are unprepared to deal with it. We have not learned how to die well. But this chapter has to do with death, the death of Abraham's beloved wife, Sarah. If Genesis 22 showed us a death averted or avoided, Genesis 23 shows us a death accepted. Even God's calling and election did not free Abraham and Sarah from that painful reality which we must all face. I thought that was the best introduction. that I couldn't have come up with a better one. What are all the reasons in your mind that we have such a hard time talking about or even mentioning death today? Yes. And we don't like that, do we? Especially in a time when we've finagled all the, you know, uh, technology and everything to make everything within our control, right? We've really worked everything out to be so controlled. What else? It's final. final. At least for what we can see, right? It's completely final. There's no coming back from it. Masters of time, masters of space. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, it brings us right up against something that just simply can't be mastered. Yes. Yeah. It is. Could happen anytime. Could happen today, tomorrow. Yeah, it's yeah, it's freaky, right, to think about that. Uh, even when someone dies at 127 years old. For example, Sarah, right? Uh, it's, not easy, it's not easier, I think, to say goodbye to someone um, at that age. Now, there may be some ways in which it's easier, certainly. It's, it's more expected. But at the end of the day, a, the loss is a loss, right? And so Abraham struggles with Sarah's death just as much as anyone. What else? You're powerless. Powerless. Right, exactly. Yeah, if we start talking about death, we'll have to think about our own. You know, we don't like that. Very uncomfortable. Yes. How is it going to happen? Will it be painful? Will I suffer? 
what will happen to the people I leave behind? Will they have to suffer because I die? And there's just 100,000 questions. And it is a very sobering topic, granted. Why do you think maybe people in the past didn't have as much difficulty talking about it? It's far more common. Um, they hadn't yet reached a place where they felt like, you know, think, if you think about the past, living especially in Abraham's day, but even in the Victorian era, um, not very many things had yet come under the full control of man, right? I mean, people, there were many things in life that felt out of control to them. And so death was just one of the many things. Plus, the mortality rate was much higher in children. And so in any given family, your, your chances of having at least one of your children die in childhood was very high. Um, speaking of the Puritan period, when William Perkins wrote that in 1616, another man who lived named John Owen, he and his wife lost 10 children during childhood, during their childhood, um, which is incredible to think about that. But that was common. That was a normal, maybe not that many was normal, but it was a common to have that experience. Maybe Clint might remember. You know some about the biography of John Owen, but they had a few more besides... Yeah, they, they, they lost almost all the ones they had um, to various things. Some of them grew up to be older, but they lost them before they died. And um, that, that was the reality of the world for a very, very long time. And uh, we don't want to go back to that, praise God, right? We do not want to go back to that. But there's something to be said for being able to have a sustained thought about death and being, have, having, being able to have a sustained conversation about death without freaking out. Right. Yeah, we hand them over to hospital, hospice. Yep. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So lo lots of reasons. Yep. Exactly right. And so I want tonight to, to look at this passage with you and have a little bit of a sustained conversation. And we'll, we'll broaden the horizons here, not just about death, but about loss in general. Because death, of course, is the ultimate loss, but there are many other ways in this life where you lose something. And in a sense, when you lose something, it's hard to ever get it back, at least not in the way that you had it before. Uh, even when you get laid off from your job, uh, you may get another job, but it won't be that job. And even if you did, somewhere down the line, get that same job back, it's probably not going to ever be exactly the same as it was before you lost it, right? I and mean, it's just kind of the way things are in life. You lose, and you can never really fully get back what you lose. And there's something very humbling about that, very, um, well, deeply sad about that, uh, that has to be faced with faith. Uh, Abraham had to be willing to give up his son. We saw that last week. God allowed that to be avoided. He did not have to actually do it. It was just a test. But when he faced the death of his own wife, it was not just a test. It actually happened. And it, those kinds of losses will actually happen to us, and we have to have some faithful way of dealing with it. So look at your bulletin. Just two simple things. Let's talk about facing loss, and let's talk about doing it by looking beyond. Okay? Facing loss by looking beyond. Those are the two simple things from Abraham's story. Uh, first of all, facing loss. 
Uh, when you lose something, you never quite get it back the way it was before. Look at verses 1 and 2. Uh, just notice how even, even the sobering way that Moses, who's writing this, puts it. He says, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the, the years of the life of Sarah. Even just that, these were the years of Sarah's life. It's just a reminder that one day everybody's years will be past tense. Everybody. It even happened to Sarah. Now, she got 127 of them, which is pretty good. It would be really good today. It was pretty good then, too. Nevertheless, there is a were when it comes to Sarah. And there would one day be a were when it comes to Abraham. So when Abraham believed in God, who gave him these monumental promises, it did not shield him from loss. It did not shield Sarah from loss. They still had to face it. God allowed them not to have to sacrifice Isaac, of course, because that's not God was just testing. But God would not shield them from death in general. He would not shield them from losing things in general. Now, the loss of Sarah, if you think about it, at this point in time, would have been particularly bitter to Abraham. Especially in relationship to God's promises. Why might that be? Why was Sarah's loss at 127 so bitter to Abraham, especially in light of God's promises? No more children. God had promised through Sarah you're going to have nations. How many kids they got right now? Uno. Only one. And she, she now died, right? Now, it would have taken another miracle for them to have another two or three, but Abraham probably believed God could have done it. But not after this day. After she died, that whole opportunity was gone. Do you see how maybe the loss would like put some pressure and stress on Abraham's faith that God was going to be able to carry out the promise? Not only that, what other aspect of the promise is in major jeopardy right now as Sarah dies? It becomes the whole focus of the rest of the story. Say what? It's on Isaac now? Yep, that's right. They don't, have, they don't have a single acre. They don't even have a square yard of land that belongs to them. I mean, how much land does it take to bury somebody in? Just not very much. Back then, they didn't tend to bury people under the ground, especially not in the Middle East. They buried them in caves, which is what he asks for here. It just takes one cave to bury somebody, and Abraham doesn't even have that. At least not in the land of Canaan. Now, we were told at the end of chapter 22, we didn't read this part last week, but it goes through there in verses 20 through 24 of chapter 22 that Abraham still has his other family up in Haran in another foreign country, and they have land. So when Sarah dies, I'm sure Abraham has to think, all right, should I go back there? Because that's where my family land is, where I can bury her. Here I have no land, and yet here is where God promised that me and my descendants would live. What am I supposed to do? Where we bury our loved ones is a big deal to, even today, right? But uh, it was an even bigger deal back then. I mean, it was a massive thing. I mean, you, you took very special care of this, and it always needed to be connected to either your past with your family or your future with your family. They didn't think of it as just a utilitarian, let's find a 
spot anywhere, or let's find an urn anywhere, that they thought of it as, it's got to be where the family is going to be, because we want to keep paying our respects. And Abraham seems to have zero options when it comes to the land of Canaan. Loss leads to stress at the point of faith in God's promises. And this happens to Abraham, but you know it happens to us too. Okay, It happens to us too. Let's dialogue a little bit. What are some of, besides death, because death's the obvious one, what are some of the other forms of loss that we all experience in life? Jobs, yep. Moving. Moving. So you lose one house, you go to another. Expectations, yep. Yep. Aging. Aging. You lose in aging? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, you do. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm starting to feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Health. Yeah. That's right. Mm. Your youth. Yeah. Kids moving out. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, that, that could be a praise report or it could be a, a prayer request, depending on your perspective. Yeah. Friendships. That's a hard one. Hmm. Are any of those easy? When you, ex- when you experience those, what do you tend to, how do you tend to process that? <laughs> yeah, very much like grief. Yeah, exactly. I think that's very true. Yeah, even, even if it's just a job that you lose or a friend not necessarily to death, it can still feel like a kind of death. Um, and I'm sure a lot of parents would say, when my kids moved out, it was kind of like that. I mean, it was kind of like a death, you know. It was happy at the same time, but it was also like, man, I really miss those little guys running around and little girls or whatever it was, you know. And so grief can actually be a very good um, way to describe how we often cope with it. What are some of the specifics of that grief that you go through when you lose something? Even if it's just your ability to, to run or to... Yeah, what's going to come next? Yeah. Fear. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's exactly what we see Abraham doing here. But how often does it happen that someone experiences loss in those forms and they end up going onto Rocky Road with God because of it? Does that happen? Has it ever happened to you? You got maybe sideways with God? Or just, you know, even if it wasn't angry, maybe it was angry, but it could have also just been confused. Just, I don't know why. I don't know what to make of this. God, what's the explanation? Clint? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. What did I do wrong? Exactly. 
what did I do wrong? And, and that's a very common one, you know. And that can, in a way, put us on a rocky way with God, even though we may still very much believe theologically that God is good and God is right and God only does everything right. We, we really believe that. And yet when we think maybe we've done something so wrong that God has withheld his blessing, that can make us hesitant to come to God, hesitant to pour our heart out to him. Uh, we, we can become more clammed up with God because we're unsure where we stand with him. Especially when he takes something major away, you know, that can be very hard and, and hard to recover from. Can you imagine that Abraham was dealing with all that? Uh, after the high of receiving God's approval at the mountain of Moriah where he had been willing to offer up Isaac, boom, Sarah dies and all he has is Isaac and, and he has no land and God promised him both land and descendants and through Sarah, Sarah's gone and he's old and I don't even have a place to bury my wife. I think it's important to understand the humanity of these people in the Bible and to understand that just like them, as a Christian, you're going to face various forms of loss just like everybody else in the world. It's not gonna, God's not going to give you special treatment when it comes to the ordinary losses and crosses of life because you're a Christian. That's going to be hard. And, it's, and it's, it's good to just recognize it's going to be hard <laughs> and not pretend like God is calling Christians to be stones who don't feel anything, who don't feel pain at change, decay, and loss. And it's also good to be completely dispossessed of the notion that God sent his son into the world so that we could live our best life now. We have to completely write that off. And I know that's the title of a book written by a Christian pastor but I think it's wrong I think God did not send his son for you to live your best life now that actually might be the opposite of what the Bible teaches <laughs> uh, he came so that you might live your best life then right yes he cares about now I mean, of course he does but what a cruel thing to say to people in a world where manifestly just by you don't even have to read the Bible just look at the facts who is living their best life now? <laughs> Anyone? Probably not. There's, there's something always. As one great, again, another Puritan writer says, uh, there's always a crook in the lot, he says. Meaning you can have a bunch of straight sticks, but there's always a crooked one in the, in the lot. Everybody's lot has a crooked stick in it. Every rose has its thorn. <laughs> that wasn't a Puritan. That was poison, right, <laughs> from the 80s. Um, yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah, you're not going to draw a full, a flush deck of cards in this life. And, and God is not going to shield his people from that. He's going to allow the bitter cards to come in, right? And, and part of the reason for that is, well, number one, as Christians, we believe there's a lot of hope in that because Jesus himself came and suffered, and he drew the bitter cards. In fact, he drew the most ultimate of the bitter cards so that we wouldn't have to draw that one. At least that one is one we're not going to get, which is hell. Right? But he drew the other ones too, and we can learn how to feel together with Jesus. We can learn how to have the same mind of Christ in all of that. Um, but I think it's also just the simple thing he was teaching Abraham. Learn how to trust me 
beyond your circumstances. Learn how to look past the mere temporary things and learn how to hope in me for the big, great, eternal things above. And so that's the second thing I want us to see today. Abraham faced loss like we all do. It's very sad there in verses 1 and 2. But in verse 3, there's a beautiful turn in the story. What does it say in verse 3? Abraham rose up from before his dead. Abraham rose up from before his dead. That's that's an interesting way to say it, isn't it? And a very important way to say it. Abraham wasn't a stone. He, He felt this deeply. In fact, it had already said he mourned for Sarah and he wept for her. But Abraham had exercised himself enough in faith through his years that he knew when to rise up and when to rise up from the dead and move into the land of the living and to walk in the direction that God's promises were still pointing, even though it was becoming less clear how those promises were going to get carried out. And so Abraham does this amazing thing. He goes to the Hittites... And he negotiates the purchase of a single cave in the promised land. The easy thing for Abraham to do, we've already mentioned it, would have been for him to go back to where he came from. Haran, the land of his fathers, his ancestral homeland. He had other brothers and sisters there. He had nieces and nephews. He had plenty of land within his family. He could have gone back there, buried Sarah just fine, and forgotten the whole thing about Canaan. Instead, Abraham chooses to negotiate with a shady people. And there's every indication that these people are ripping Abraham off. Almost everybody I read this week who knows more about shekels in the ancient world than I do say 4,000 or 400 shekels of silver was very much overpriced for one field. That they were basically trying to get Abraham, they were trying to, well, work him over. (laughs) And Abraham just sort of took it. Why? Because for Abraham to purchase that one little piece of land in the land that God had promised and to bury his wife there was an act of incredible faith. When you bury somebody in the ancient world, you're saying, I am going to be here. My children are going to be here. My grandchildren are going to be here. My great-grandchildren are going to be here. They thought that way. I mean, they thought generationally way different than we think where we just move all around, you know. They didn't do that. So when Abraham bought that little field with that little cave in it, he was making a statement about what he believed God was still going to do regarding his promise about the land. It's an amazing thing. He learns how to look beyond the present sense of loss into the future promise of God. He doesn't know how it's going to happen, but he knows so firmly that it is going to happen that he's willing to put his money where his mouth is, literally, and pay way over price for this little tiny piece of land. When Abraham died, that was all the promised land he owned. He owned a gravesite. That was it. And yet he died, Hebrews tells us, in faith, believing that truly all of his descendants would own the whole thing. What Abraham is showing us here is how to look beyond this world when we're facing loss 
so that our faith might be placed in eternal realities rather than just temporary present realities. Something that the Bible actually talks a ton about. Uh, In fact, a whole lot, this is what um, a philosopher once said, that despair in human beings is precisely to have lost the eternal. And this was, a, a, I think, a very interesting statement. It's not from the Bible. It's just from a philosopher, but I think it's insightful. Despair is precisely to have lost the eternal. Uh, people despair when they think this life is all there is. Why would we despair if we thought this life was all there is? Because, well, it's just one loss after the other after the other, and the older you get, the more losses there are, and that just doesn't seem very exciting or happy or fulfilling. And so despair is the right response. Despair makes sense in that sense. But, as one other writer says, uh, if a person takes that which is earthly so much to heart, such an attitude introduces a weakness to despair, for when that which is earthly is taken away from that person, despair rushes in. In times of grief, only a living faith in the eternal will keep one from despair. And Abraham was walking out faith in an eternal reality when he bought that field for Sarah. He humbled himself. He honored these Hittites, even though they were not acting very honorable to him. We won't go through all the back and forth of the haggling. You just need to recognize in the haggling, Abraham is determined to get the field. He will not take no for an answer. He's determined to pay for it. And he doesn't care that he's getting ripped off because he must have it. He He is not going back to where he came from. He's going to bury her there. Don't you love that? After all these years, you know, Abraham still believes it. And he's still believing it when he doesn't have very much, you know, tangible proof of it yet. He still, all he has is Isaac at this point. That's all he's got. And yet he still is continuing to make decisions on the basis of what God told him. In fact, I love what it says there in verse 4. Look at how he describes himself to the Hittites. I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Now, of course, Abraham could just be meaning the simple fact, I am not a Hittite. Just simple. He could just be making an ethnicity statement there, maybe. But I think there's more to it. Abraham has a mentality about this world that is profoundly different than what we usually do. And the reason I'm so confident that's what it was is because the book of Hebrews later says that what Abraham meant there was that he was a stranger and a foreigner in the earth, not just in Canaan, not just among the Hittites. Abraham recognized this world is not his final home, at least not in its present form. And he was willing to live as if he were... You were a citizen of another place, a a heavenly country, something way beyond the, the, the slings and arrows and the ins and outs and the ebbs and flows of life here and now. This is important for this simple reason. Have you ever... Have you maybe when you were a teenager? Have, did did you, you remember as a teenager getting really angry or devastated or upset about something that now you look back and think, that wasn't really that big a deal? Like, why was I so upset about that? Do you have anything like that? Yeah, I, I remember one time I, I was absolutely devastated. I, I had a job as a senior in high school uh, writing sports articles for the Lakeland Ledger. 
Um, and so I would go to um, prep sports games, you know, high school sports games. And it was actually a kind of a miserable job. Uh, I thought it was going to be awesome, but then I got into it and I was like, man, these people are mean, you know. And uh, I'd have to go in at midnight, write the article at the ledger. This was, this was in 2001, 2002. So this was kind of before the whole Internet getting huge thing. The Internet was there, but you had to go in to type your article, right? And so I had to go up there, type it. And I remember one uh, night, my article got absolutely ripped by the editor, just absolutely torn to shreds. And he made this comment, of, and I, I kind of at that time, you know, fancied myself a writer, you know, a good writer, you know. And he said, uh, next time will you try writing in English, McMahon? You know? Woo! And I remember being so, for days, I just had the, I was so crushed by that. And now I look back at it and think, well, well, what was the big deal, right? But, but for me, at that time, it meant everything. Like, yeah, I actually wanted to give up. I look back, yeah, I'm glad I didn't give up. I'm glad I didn't fully listen to what that guy said. But only hindsight can give you that perspective. Right? Only the, the unfolding of the story after the fact can give you the perspective on the thing that bothers you so much. For Abraham, the fact that God had already promised him X, Y, and Z down into Eternity. Remember, Abraham's, the promises God gave Abraham were eternal. Your descendants will have this land forever. Right? All the families of the earth will be blessed through your family. I mean, these were big, eternal promises. That Abraham had all that information from the promises of God helped him to cope with something like the death of his wife, Sarah, now. Right? It helped him get through it. If he didn't have that perspective, he might think, well, it's over, it's done. Just like you know, for a little bit of time there, I thought that way when I was sitting, standing there at the ledger. I thought, this is it. I'm done, I'll never write again. Do you remember that? <laughs> Stacy was dating me at this time. She remembers how crushed I was. I was devastated. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't, right? And, and, and knowing what I know now, that was not that, it wasn't that big a deal, right? It wasn't that big a deal. But at the time, it, it seemed huge. And the same with us. Now, getting chewed out by an editor at the ledger is nothing like losing a loved one or losing your health. Or, I mean, I'm not trying to compare the two. One is huge, the other is very tiny. But in the scheme of eternity, hear me out here, in the scheme of the eternal things that God has promised, even the loss of life, the loss of a loved one, is relatively. Right? Are you following me? I mean, I know this is hard. I, I know it's kind of uncomfortable to talk about per our introduction that we, that we went through there. It's just hard to talk about these things today. And sometimes we just simply don't believe this because grief can just be so overwhelming. And I understand that. But when you calculate all that God has promised to give his people, even death, seems small. You'll see him again. Right? They too, united to Christ. They too will be with you in that promised future, in that promised world. Abraham knew that about Sarah. Abraham knew that about the descendants in the future that even, he didn't even know where they were going to come from. Sometimes we put way too much stock in earthly things. And when we do that, 
the things that should cause us to mourn cause us to be devastated. You should mourn, but the Bible says you should not mourn as if you had no hope. That loss of a job should make you sad, but it shouldn't make you want to die, right? And yet, it does sometimes to us. Because we put so much stock here and not enough stock in the future that's going to play out, which we can know is going to play out because God has promised it. If you have your Bible, turn to um, Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. Just in case you don't believe what I'm saying. (laughs) Take it from whoever wrote the book of Hebrews. We're not fully sure. But someone inspired by the Holy Spirit. So take it from him. Hebrews 11. And and he kind of gives us a a commentary on the story that we just talked about. It's an exact commentary on this story. Verses 13 through 16. And I want to tell you, just real quick, I know we're going to run out of time in a minute, but there are five things that he points out here about what Abraham does that help us understand how to become heavenly-minded. All right, and we'll just quickly list them, and maybe in the future, maybe next week, I'll talk to you in more detail about them. Uh, somebody read it, uh, verses 13 to 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land, Very good. Who is they or these? Believers. Specifically, if you look at the end of verse 12 and the beginning of verse 17, he's talking about Abraham. Specifically, Abraham. Abraham died in faith, not having received the things promised, but he saw them and greeted them from afar. Okay, And so I just want to point to you the five things that I, I'm going to list, and I'll talk to you about them next week. The first thing is he saw and greeted from afar what God promised. He saw and greeted from afar what God promised. You see that there in verse 13. The second thing is he acknowledged that he was a stranger on the earth. The third thing is he spoke thus, making it clear that he was seeking another homeland. The fourth thing is, he desired a better country, that is, not one on this earth, but a heavenly one. And the fifth thing is, he knew God was not ashamed to call him his people. Or to be called their God, as it says. And I'm going to, next week, I don't have time to do it right now, but next week I'm going to go through, um, because I think it's so important to think about how to become more heavenly minded. And if you'll observe those five things and think about how you can do those five things in your life, it'll help cultivate that sense of this world is not all there is. The losses and the crosses are painful, but they're not, it's not all there is. We're looking for a better country. And that country is promised. Right? We're citizens there. 
And the loss that we face now, we can endure by looking beyond it to that country that God has put in front of us. We see and greet them from afar. We acknowledge we are strangers and exiles on earth. We make it clear that we're seeking another home. We make it clear that home is heavenly, not earthly. And we know that God is not ashamed to be our God. Let's talk about it next week. Sound good? All right. Any thoughts before, we, before the kids come in? We have maybe one minute or two, maybe. Yeah. That's right. For the joy set before him. Yeah. That's right. It's kind of, that's why we're saying that part of Psalm 22 tonight. You know, like Psalm 22 begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lost, 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 lost. But it ends with, Praise his name, because I see that what I'm suffering is going to be productive. And as Christians, we always can know every bit of our suffering will be productive. It'll actually produce something. Wow. What else? All right. Well, I'm going to take that as y'all are thinking and not just sleeping, right? Hopefully. (laughs) 